Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will begin a study in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we'll use the first two verses to introduce the book. And we should probably ask the question, why are we studying 2 Peter? Why now? Well, I'd like you to listen to what J.N.D. Kelly says in his introductory thoughts on Peter's first letter. He said, This letter, one of the most pastorally attractive and vigorously confident documents in the New Testament, presents itself as a message of encouragement from the Apostle Peter to Christian communities in Asia Minor, which are bewildered by the cruel treatment and persecution to which they are being subjected. So we have a pastoral letter that is very confident in the New Testament documents, presents itself as a message of encouragement, and it's to the diaspora. We'll talk about that in a moment. Second Peter then is going to follow in the same suit. Interestingly, it took a while for the councils on canonicity to come to agreement about whether Second Peter should be included or not. The recension of the Lucian of Lucian of Antioch did not contain Second Peter, and classic Antiochenes like John Chrysostom and Theodore of Mopsuestia made no use of it. However, by the fourth century, Second Peter was accepted throughout most of the world. Uh, and of course, that's when all of the canon of Scripture was codified there in the fourth century. Uh, it is called a general epistle because it does not target a specific church. Uh, we'll look at Peter's introduction here in just a moment. But Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, so that's really what we have going here. And while it is very pastoral and attractive and confident, uh, we have to recognize that he wrote not one, but two under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we're looking in on this second one that really zeroes in on some false teaching that's entering into the church. And, and to that, we say we're not surprised because false teaching is something that's going to come in and plague every church at any age in, in this fallen world. Uh, he addresses and describes in his letter some twisted versions of Christian truth being taught. So he's going to go into the transfiguration, and we're going to talk about uh, that and the surety and confidence we have in God's revealed word uh, over and against experiences that we have. And then in chapter three, it's a relatively short book. Uh, Peter is going to focus in on those who mock and scoff at the idea of Christ's return and final judgment. And we find that one of the end results of false teaching is a denial of what God has stated for the future. And so Peter's guided by the Holy Spirit here going to have some things to say, and it should boost the confidence of the believer as we look to some of the promises that God has made that uh, we 
should not lose faith, lose heart in any of those things because God has said it and he will bring it to pass. Uh, probably written around AD 67 to 68 uh, by Peter, obviously, and shortly before his death. We'll get into that here in, in the minutes that follow now. So as we look at these first two verses then, and we'll use this to be our introduction into this letter, one of the things that I'd like to say is this, that God will sustain his church person by person through his word. That's really the takeaway from these two verses. You know, we look at these opening uh, greetings as he gets the letter started, but they are inspired by the Holy Spirit and there is much to learn. And we see that God sustains his church. He, he sustains the church as a whole, but he does it person by person. And the way that he does it is through his word. So the first thing that we see then as we look at verse one is that you are not beyond the ability of God to use for his purposes. God can use anyone to minister. You say, where do you get that? Well, let's just read this. Simon Peter or Simeon Peter, depending on how your English translation is, is wording that, but Simeon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there. The person that we're talking about is Simon Peter, or Simeon Peter. Now, he identifies himself as a servant and then as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But remember, we're working off of this premise that you are not beyond the ability of God to use for his purposes. God can use anyone. He can even use somebody like Peter who denied him. And we'll, we'll kind of get into that. But what do we know of Peter? Because we're not, we're not looking at Peter now as he's presented to us in the Gospels. There was something that changed, and it really changed for all of the disciples. And there was a very decisive moment of change because we know at the time that Jesus was crucified, uh, all abandoned him, including Peter, right? There was none left. Uh, and there wasn't even one that was able to stand up and stay at his side during that moment that crucial and critical moment. And what really empowered the disciples and changed them and emboldened them for the task that was ahead of them was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just the resurrection, but that they witnessed the resurrected Christ and they spoke to him and they touched him and they ate with him. And all of a sudden you see an incredible transformation. And so by the time we move into the book of Acts, we see these formerly timid men going out and boldly proclaiming the gospel, and they're not afraid of anything. There's, there's nothing that anybody can do to dissuade them, no threat of imprisonment or death or anything. Uh, and Peter's right there at the front of the pack. So uh, we have to recognize uh, the, the power of the gospel to change a person. And just know you are not beyond the ability of God to use for his purposes. So now kind of working through that with Peter, as we see Peter presented to us in ministry, not just sitting at the feet of Christ, but now after his resurrection and ascension, how do we see him in the book of Acts? Well, he describes himself as a servant, and we've seen that word before, and we know uh, this doulos, okay, uh, is, is really the, the form here, a bond slave servant. We know that 
uh, he served in the church and of course he served Jesus. Okay. In Acts chapter 10, that whole chapter uh, verses one to 45, we see that he really is the first missionary to the Gentiles. Um, Paul comes in and is a great missionary later, but Peter is the one who's doing that before Paul even does that. Then in Acts chapter 12, we discover that he's a missionary to the Jews who are outside Jerusalem. That's Acts 12 verse 17. And then we know that Peter died a martyr's death and he did so in Rome. Now, of course, this isn't recorded for us in the Bible, but we do have extra biblical documents that record these things. And history uh, says that all of the apostles, all of, the, of Christ's disciples died martyrs' deaths, save for John. And John died in exile. And so that wasn't exactly pleasant, but he didn't die for his faith. He ended up being exiled for his faith. Okay, but First uh, Clement... First Clement uh, chapter five verse four records Peter's martyrdom in Rome, and we we take that no one's ever disputed that he died a martyr's death. So he really is a servant when he identifies himself that way, and then he I also identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and we have talked about this before. But apostle here is not just a general sense, it's literally a, an office, and it's a very specific office with very specific qualifications. The, the verb form of this noun, apostolos, uh, apostello, the verb, right, uh, means to send. And so we do take that title in a small lowercase form, if you will, when Jesus says that, you know, so send I you, we know that we are sent ones and we are sent into the world, go into all the world and uh, proclaim the gospel, uh, make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things that I have uh, commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. I got those backwards, right? So he says, go into all the world. And so he's really sent the church into the world to make disciples and to that lowercase sense, we're all, everyone who is a Christian is an apostle as a sent one. But to hold the office of apostle, uh, thinking back to Ephesians chapter 4, when, when God gave the apostles and prophets as the foundation of the church, and then pastor-teacher, that's not talking about a generic uh, anybody who is sent out as a Christian. The apostle that is in view in Ephesians chapter 4 there is a very select group of people who met a very certain criteria. And Peter happens to be one of those people. By the way, we argue, and there are a great many people who argue this point today, that there is no true apostle today in the sense of holding the office of an apostle because the qualifications include having seen and not in a vision, literally seen the physical resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ before his ascension. Uh, no one who is alive on the earth today as I make this podcast was alive back then around AD 30, 31, when Christ died and was buried and then resurrected from the dead and saw him for those 40 days before he ascended into heaven. There's no one alive here who's seen that. That's, that's kind of one of the big ones that totally disqualifies everybody in the planet. 
So uh, we turn to some commentators more educated than I am uh, who give us some further insight into this. Simon, later called Peter, was a native of Galilee, where he grew up making his living as a fisherman among, along with his father and his brother Andrew. After being called to follow Jesus, Peter soon became the most prominent of the disciples. Uh, Peter occurs first in all of the lists, indicating his place of leadership within the Twelve. In the Gospels, he regularly functions as the spokesman for the Twelve, and we'll remember that. We'll see, we'll see that a lot as one day we'll end up going through the Gospel, that when Peter says something, it's not necessarily just his words. He's actually speaking on behalf of uh, the entire group of disciples. Okay, um, look at Matthew 14, 28, Matthew 15, 15, 18, 21, Matthew 26, 35, Mark chapter 8, verse 29, Mark 10, 28, John 6, 68. I, I, the list just goes on. So he's a spokesman for the 12, and he's also a spokesman during the early days of the church. Uh, he fulfilled Jesus' prediction that he would play a foundational role as the rock of the church and the holder of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, I'm reading a commentary here, I believe, and one day we'll go through the gospel of Matthew, that that proclamation that Peter made and that Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. I don't believe he's talking about the person there as much as he's talking about the confession of faith. But still, it's interesting to note what a foundational and pivotal role he played in the early church. Uh, and we see him uh, in Jerusalem during the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, and, and so forth. So he's very, very prominent. Uh, he's called the first uh, in the sense that he was the first among equals uh, as the leader of the twelve. Okay, so we, we do see that coming out and again. Okay, so MJ Wilkins uh, wrote that concerning him. When do we say this is written? Well, we already alluded to that uh, a little bit ago, but we said AD 67, 68 seems to be uh, the time frame, very concise window there. AD 68, you have the caves at Qumran are closed. And nothing is added to them until the scrolls are found hundreds of years later. And so by that point, we find in them a copy of Second Peter. So Second Peter had to be written before the caves were sealed off. I mean, there's pretty good archaeological and logical evidence for that specific date on the writing. Plus, we know that Peter died shortly after the writing of this uh, historical tradition records an upside-down crucifixion. Again, we uh, go back and, and we have to go to extra-biblical writings like First Clement, but again, everybody's in agreement in history that tradition records that he did not even consider himself worthy to be crucified as his Savior was, and so he asked to be crucified upside-down, and history records that, that that request was granted. Uh, regarding the authorship, of course, he identifies himself. We haven't even gotten uh, to the rest of verse one here, but authorship. There's a use of a Hebrew style. Okay, you have Simeon versus Simon, which conveys the Greek. And, and Simeon really is present here uh, in when you look at this. So it, it really is more of a Hebrew style. Also in 2 Peter 3 verse one, he says that this is his second letter tying it to his first epistle. Okay, so when you go there, he says, see, this is my second letter. And we do know that this is the same Simon Peter who denied Jesus, just as Jesus predicted, Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 to 75. He's the one who wanted to believe in the resurrection, Luke chapter 24, verse 12, right? 
he he runs to the tomb. And we know at the closing of John's gospel that this same Peter uh, is reinstated by Jesus when Jesus has that very uncomfortable discussion with him, but it culminates in his restoration to uh, the office that, that Jesus has called him to. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, remember that conversation there. So it's it's really interesting to to see the progression here. And I think we'll we'll end on this note, but just keep in mind all that Peter's been through. I mean, we're running through a very, very concise biography of of Peter. And he seems impetuous, he seems impulsive. Um you know, one minute he's full of faith, the next minute he's doubting. I mean, he's telling that Jesus that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. And the next, you know, just a few minutes later, Christ tells him to get behind him, Satan. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on there, but he is a work in progress and he's continually growing. And if that isn't a story of what God's doing in the life of every believer, I don't know what is. And so let me just encourage you as we're getting started here and introducing the book, you yourself, you are not beyond the ability of God to use for his purposes. You don't know yet what the end of God's purposes are for your life. I mean, look what he did through Peter. Not only did he pastor a church, not only did he chair councils, uh, and you know he was the first missionary to the Gentiles, all those things. But now at the end of life, he is writing a general epistle that is for all believers of the diaspora, the dispersion there. And he's saying, wherever this, this letter finds you as persecution is ramping up, take heart and stay in the faith. It's really, really encouraging. And if God can use somebody like Peter, he can use you. You are not beyond his ability. So take comfort in that and know that God is sustaining his church person by person through his word. And Peter will bear that out in this epistle. Well, we'll end our episode there today and we'll pick it up uh, with the rest of verse one and probably verse two in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.